Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Chris Gania. Saturdays. Today is Saturday, June 13th, 2015. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Before we begin tonight, I would like to praise Yahweh and thank all of the excellent Christian identity brethren that have visited us, visited us here at the home of Clifton Emmerheiser these last two days. And, and we praise Christ for that. Today I have Clifton Emmerheiser here with me for a criticism of E. Raymond Capt and a critical review of some of E. Raymond Capt's writing. We all owe E. Raymond Capp a debt of gratitude. There is no doubt he trailblazed Christian identity scholarship in several areas. He did some very excellent work. However, we must learn to be able to criticize our teachers where we find better information and where we find that they were wrong, where they fell short. We are all just men, and we have all done wrong and fall short of the glory of God. Where our teachers fail, we must be humble and be able to correct them in humility, and they themselves, in the case where they are living, should also be humble and be willing to learn from their students. That's just the way it is. We're all men. We all have something. If we have a contrite Christian heart, we all have something to share with one another. For this, Clifton Emmerheiser has recently written a two-part critical review of E. Raymond Capp's book, Israel, Judah, and Jew. And I have Clifton here with me tonight to present that. Hello, Clifton. Yeah, hello, and uh, to everybody out there. Um, while I have a lot of respect uh, for the research and teachings of E. Raymond Capt, here is a topic where he failed to cover the implications completely. I will be quoting from his four-book series, Biblical Antiquities, Book 2, Chapter 4, uh, pages uh, 37 to 48, and William Fink will be uh, quoting uh, the text uh, of uh, Cap's book. Well, well, all right. I'm going to read the, the text of um, E. Raymond Cap's booklet, which Clifton has chosen out to criticize, and, and Clifton and I are, are going to discuss the various points where we certainly feel that E. Raymond Cap fell short and, and where his understanding, we believe, was certainly an error, especially when it came to the differences between Judah and Jew. I'm going to commence, and this is from pages 37 through 48 uh, of E. Raymond Cap. This entire presentation is from pages 37 through 48 of E. Raymond Capp's Biblical Antiquities, Book 2, Chapter 4. And actually, Israel, Judah, and Jew, I'm sorry, is actually a part of that series of writings. 
and E. Raymond Cap says, Today there is much teaching on the subject of Bible prophecy by theologians, and it is important that there should be. It is very important for every student of the Bible to understand biblical prophecies. However, there is one area of prophecy which is vital for us to understand fully, an area which theologians have either overlooked or failed to study adequately. This concerns the prophecies God made with his people Israel. And the distinction the Bible makes between the two houses, Israel and Judah, and their relationship with the Jews. And it's that relationship between Judah and the Jews where we believe that E. Raymond Kapp really did himself fall short. And he continues by saying, Until this distinction is clearly understood, a great portion of the Bible will remain a closed book. In fact, ignorance of this distinction is responsible for much of today's infidelity and unbelief. Because the pre-millennial, and E. Raymond Katz was a millennialist, because the pre-millennial promises God made to the house of Israel have not been fulfilled in the house of Judah. God has been accused of unfaithfulness. Many people today suppose that where Israel is mentioned in the Bible, it means Jews. We read articles and hear sermon after sermon in which the writers and speakers refer to Abraham as the Jew and Isaac and Jacob as Jews. After a careful study of the scriptures, often confirmed by archaeology, these teachings are found to be absurd and impossible, all of which I hope to bring to your attention in this study. Thousands of Christians use the terms House of Israel and House of Judah and Israel and Jew, employing these and similar words and phrases as if they always refer to the same people. They do not realize that according to biblical history, there were no such people as Jews until about 15 centuries after Abraham was born and until 600 years after the death of Moses. And we're going to take issue with some of these things, and we will let Clifton address them. Um, critical note by Clifton A. Emmerheiser. Already in these opening statements, although Capt is uh, by and large correct, is falling short uh, of disclosing the entire picture. To demonstrate this uh, inefficiency on the part of Cap, I will quote Matthew 23, 32 through 35. Fill, up ye, ye, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them uh, shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. These are Christ's own red-letter words uh, to a generic group in Judea whose origins go all the way back to Cain, who killed Abel. Therefore, we should be, uh, therefore, therefore we should label them as 
Canaanite Jews, not Canaanite Jews, but Cana, use the word Canaanite Jews. Yes, Cain was the first uh, genetic Jew. Does that surprise you that the people today calling themselves Jews are actually descendants of Cain? As time continued on, Cain would absorb several other genetic admixtures uh, to his family tree. Uh, one of them, one one other thing rather, one other thing, uh, where Matthew twenty three thirty two states, "Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers." Uh, my Bible has a center center reference to Genesis fifteen. Uh, verse 16, where it states in part, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not full, for which one will have to peruse, uh, Genesis, uh, 15 verses 19 through 21 for a list of the ten genetic nations with whom Cain mixed his blood. So we have Kenite Jews, Kenizzite Jews, Kadimite Jews, Hittite Jews, Perizzite Jews, Raphium Jews, Amorite Jews, Canaanite Jews, Gergesite Jews, and Jebusite Jews, and back to Raymond Capt. It's, um, before we get back to Raymond Capt, it's clear in later history, and the point that Clifton is trying to make, is that um, these Canaanite tribes had all later mixed with the people of Judah, of the remnant, and adopted the name and the identity of Jews through the word Judean. And and that is why Clifton is, and, and some of them had mixed even before, even before the Babylonian captivity, it's very clear in, in Daniel, in Jeremiah chapter 2, in Ezekiel chapter 16, that some of these Canaanite tribes had already mixed in with the people of Judah. These people were rejected by God. In the prophecy in Jeremiah concerning the good and bad figs, they're considered bad figs. These people had become a curse and a reproach to the people of Israel. They had bore the names later in history of the people of Israel and they've been a curse and a reproach ever since. This is the story that the Bible tells throughout the prophets and, and throughout the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, throughout the histories of Josephus and throughout the New Testament. E. Raymond Capt did a very good, and, and, and he actually belabored the differences between Israel and Judah and between Israel and the Jews, but where he fails most of all is in basically throwing Judah under the bus and ignoring the clear distinctions between Judah and the Jews. And Capt goes on to say, there are several points which must be emphasized in this study. Point one, most Hebrews are not Jews. And of course, we know that is true. Beginning with Adam, we had the beginning not only of chronology, but of the genealogical tables of the Bible. There are ten generations from Adam to Noah, and ten generations from Shem. 
Noah's son, through Abraham. Eber or Heber was the fourth generation from Shem. All of the descendants from Heber were Hebrews. Abraham lived six generations later. He was therefore a Hebrew. The Hebrews were not Jews because of Judah. I'm sorry, the Hebrews were not Jews because Judah, from whom the Jews descended, was not yet born. And it's not even true to say that the Jews descended from Judah. The Jews, the people that we know as Jews today, are basically Canaanites and Edomites, who in small part descended from Judah. That doesn't make them descendants of Judah, and it doesn't make them of the tribe of Judah. Because Judah, from whom the Jews descended, was not yet born. When the time came... When there were Jews on the earth, they were, of course, Hebrews. That is, a very small portion of them. But the great mass of Hebrews were not Jews and are not today. Let us follow these facts closely. And again, Clifton M. Heiser has another address. Here again, while Cap is generally correct, uh, his statement Quote, the Hebrews were not Jews because Judah, uh, from whom the Jews descended, was not yet born, unquote. It is certainly true that the satanic seed line of Cain had not yet usurped the designation of Jew before Judah was born. Nevertheless, they existed well before the birth of Judah. The truth is, no satanic seed line ever descended from Judah, later called Jews. This is rather a serious miscue on Cap's part to imply today's Jews descend genetically from pure Judah. Yes, a smattering of pure Judah did mix their blood with uh, Cain, uh, but they would... Uh, be better designated as, quote, strange vine Jews, unquote. Jeremiah 2, verse 21. Here it states, quote, Yet I planted thee a noble vine, a racially pure vine. I, I'm going to go over that again. Yet I planted thee a noble, and I add this, is, I, I added this, uh, in, uh, so the people understand it better. Quote, I had planted thee a noble, racially pure vine, wholly a right seed. How then art thou turned into this degenerate race-mixed plant of a strange vine unto me? And those the, those additions that you made are really more or less emphatic. There, there are several other passages in that same chapter of Jeremiah which demonstrates that the sin of Judah and Israel was race-mixing, right? Yes, that, that is, in that chapter, it talks about the, the my people abandoning me, meaning Yahweh, the fountain of living waters, and hewing themselves out broken cisterns that can hold no water. <coughs> and when we put these parables, these little parables of Jeremiah together, another one is the, the sin that can't be washed off, right? Yes, no, right. right. No matter how much soap you use, you can't wash the sin off because you're race mixed. You can get the strongest sliced soap, and you can't get a you you, you can't. You can't get a solution strong enough to uh, wash that off. And that's so, so when we take all these 
various descriptions of Israel's sin in Jeremiah chapter 2, it's undoubtable that they're all talking about race mixing. Yes, right. E. Raymond Kant goes on to say, and he's trying hard to, to, to um, distinguish Israel from Judah, but he doesn't try hard enough to distinguish Judah from Jews. He goes on to say, Abraham had eight sons. One was Ishmael, whose mother was Hagar. Another son was Isaac, whose mother was Sarah. After Sarah's death, Abraham married Keturah, who bore him six sons. Since Abraham was a Hebrew, that is, a descendant of Heber, his descendants would, of course, also be Hebrews, and their descendants would be Hebrews, not Jews. If they were Jews, then Ishmael was a Jew. And as the Arabs are descended from Ishmael, which is only true in small part, as they will tell you, that would make the Arabs Jews, which is nonsense. And, and that's a good point, but it's only true that only a small portion of Arabs are descended from Ishmael in small part. The descendants, Kat says, the descendants of Keturah's six sons became the Brahmins of India. And, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's okay. We'll ignore that. It would be foolish to declare that they are Jews, although as the descendants of Abraham, they are of the stock of Heber and therefore Hebrews. The same reasoning applies to Isaac. Isaac was a Hebrew, the son of Abraham. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. If Isaac were a Jew, then both Esau and Jacob would be Jews. This would make the descendants of Esau also Jews. But the descendants of Esau became the Edomites. Later, the Turks. And we don't agree with that, even though it's true in part. None of these various peoples are Jews. And E. Raymond Kapp seems to totally ignore the history of the Edomites in Palestine, where in the second century B.C. they did become Jews. Yeah. Here again, Cap uh, confusedly avers that somehow Esau was an Edomite rather than a Jew. Uh, the following is from Josephus Antiquities 13, that's book 13, chapter uh, 9, ver uh, verse 1. It actually starts... Uh, it, uh, Towards the middle of verse 1. <coughs> Hyrcanus took also Dora and Marissa, cities of Adumia, and subdued the Adumians, and permitted them to stay in that country if they would circumcise their genitals and make use of the law of the Jews, and they were so desirous of living in the country of their forefathers that they submitted to the use of circumcision and the rest of the Jewish ways of living, at which time, therefore, this befell them, that they were hereafter no other than the Jews. So we find, in fact, that the Edomites did become proselytes uh, to Judah's religious tenets, from whence we now call them quote, Edomite Jews, unquote. This is only a part of the evidence of uh, this fact uh, in Josephus. Evidently, Capt is ignorant of this fact, or he spurned it uh, as he turned against the two-scene-like doctrine evident 
in Genesis 3.15. As for the Brahmin connection, that is an old uh, British Israel assertion which cannot necessarily be proven historically. And that's true. The Brahmin connection, you know, a lot of... um a lot of archaeologists somehow believe that Hindu literature and, and this Indian literature is much older than than it can be proven to be. And, and the Brahmin connection, the Brahmins, uh, I mean, that term could have come from other places. That term could have come from the, the Masagete and the Sake, who dwelt in that area at, after the Assyrian deportations, and they were Israelites. That term could have came from a, a lot of different places. That term could have came from the bad fig Jews, many of whom, many bad fig Jews who, who stayed around Babylonia, who were never migrated away from Babylonia after the Babylonian captivity, <laughs> controlled the trade routes, and, and this can be documented, they controlled the trade routes between the Middle East and India from Babylon. And that's why Alexander was killed at Babylon because he interrupted that trade. The, the, um, the Brahmin connection could have easily come from them. It could have come from a lot of places. And the truth is that historically it cannot be determined exactly where it came from because those people, even though they have, uh, there's remnants of Vedic writings and things like that, that, that might be quite old, aren't as old as they claim to be. It can't be established that they're that old, and we don't have any historical record of how the name Brahmin got to India. It is British Israel conjecture, and it's something that we should leave on the back burner until we find further archaeological, archaeological evidence, which would actually lend substance to the claim. With that, I'm going to... Um, Read the next section from E. Raymond Katz. It's only one short paragraph in Clifton's forthcoming paper. Point two, the names of descendants do not always apply to their ancestors. Jacob, one of the twin brothers, had 12 sons from four different mothers. None of these 12 sons were Jews. One of his 12 sons was named Judah, but in the sense in which we use the word Judah, the term cannot be applied to Judah. And Katz did very well there. But he throws Judah under the bus anyway later on. And, and there's conflict in Cap's own thinking and statements. And he says, for as we have seen, he was not a Jew because of the fact that those who are called Jews today have certain characteristics and are racially a type that came into existence hundreds of years after Israel left Egypt. And, and that should have actually said 1500 years after Israel left Egypt or 1400. And, and now we will await Clifton's response. Here again, Capt is confusing the, uh, the subject by stating, uh, quote, Jews today have certain characteristics and are racially a type that came into existence hundreds of years before Israel left Egypt, unquote. I'm sorry, after Israel left Egypt. As, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go back here and read it again. Here again, Cap is confusing the subject by stating, quote, the Jews today have certain characteristics and are racially a type that came into existence hundreds of years after Israel left Egypt, unquote. As I have explained before, 
those calling themselves Jews today have taken on the racial characteristics of several ethnic groups all the way back to Cain and that's along before there ever was an Israelite white uh, Israelite I should stop there that, that was before there ever was an Israelite while Capt is making many correct assertions yet he seems to be dancing around one of the one of his play pretty hypotheses and we'll find out what that hypothesis is as this unfolds because Cap doesn't properly distinguish between Judah and Jews even though in some places he seems to do that and and the racial type of the people of the Jews has actually morphed in time again and again in, in diverse places because the Jews have mixed themselves with so many races while pretending to be pure. They're probably the most impure race. That the um, that the failure of E. Raymond Kapp is simply to see that these Edomites were indeed subsumed into Judea in the 2nd century B.C. and E. Raymond Kapp is calling the Edomites Turks. Now, the truth is that some of the Turks were Edomites because the Edomites who had infiltrated Khazaria and converted the kingdom of the Khazars to Judaism in the 5th and 6th centuries A.D. from the 6th to the 9th centuries A.D. had been importing that these Mongol tribes from the east and Judaizing them or introducing them to Islam, and, and they did both, and using them, those tribes that we know as the Turks, using them militantly to destroy the Byzantine Empire that these Jews had been expelled from. So the Turks were, um, the, the Turks are not Edomites, but some Turks are Edomites, and, and Kapt is, that, that simplification that he makes there it is absolutely ahistorical, and, and I don't even know how, how, he, um, how he even endeavored it. It's ridiculous to me. Kapt goes on to say, and, and we're only going to read another sentence or two before we hear from Clifton, this racial type or remnant we know as the Jews is only a small portion of the descendants of Judah. And that is true. And Kat later throws the rest of the descendants of Judah under the bus, as we shall see, who was only one of the 12 sons of Jacob. There are no Jews among any of the descendants of Jacob, other 11 sons. And of course, that is true. Clifton is having a hard time. It seems to be allergy season or something. Here again, and here... Cap seems to be oblivious to the fact that once a pure Adamite mixes his seed with an alien, the offspring is cast out of the family, losing all of his inheritance in the process. This truth is, the truth is rather, there is no, quote, Jew, unquote, among any of the 12 tribes of Israel who have, uh, there are, there are no Jews among any of the 12 tribes of Israel who have kept their racial purity. 
And, and that's absolutely true. If you're a bastard, you're not a son, right? According to Paul in Hebrews chapter 8, you can be a son or a bastard. You can't be both. A bastard cannot enter the congregation of Yahweh. Uh, but let's go back to E. Raymond Cap. Now, Judah had three sons. And the descendants of one, Zara, peopled the shores of the Mediterranean Sea, leaving Egypt before the exodus of the children of Israel. And that's only partially true. Perez, the twin brother of Zara, became the progenitor of the tribe of Judah. And, and of course, that's only half true. The tribe of Judah descended from Perez and was divided by the Lord into two houses, the house of David and the house of Judah. I'm sorry, Clifton seems to have left his, lost his place in his paper. I, I think he's um, he's distracted with his with his allergies. So we will be right at this in a second. <clears throat> I would like to point out that Judah had five sons, not three as uh, Cap states. Three by the daughter of Shua, the uh, Canaanitess, uh, First Chronicles 2-3, Ur, Onan, and Shelah, all being Canaanite Jews, and two racially pure children by Judah's daughter-in-law, uh, the more righteous than I, Tamar, named Perez and Zara. One should take notice that Ur, Onan, and Sheila are not counted as one, uh, one, two, and three, but utterly overlooked, while Perez and Zara are counted as numbers one and two. It is also untrue that the entire tribe of Judah descended wholly from Perez only, as Capt implies, for Zerah and his descendants are tribal Judaites as much as Perez. Also, not all Zerah departed from Egypt, as many as uh, are mentioned in the two places where uh, a census was taken uh, of the Israelites in the book of Numbers. And, and that's true. The um, Not not only the, the, the Israelites in the book of Numbers contained um, men of the tribe of Zarah, even though the, we know that a great portion of Zarah left from Egypt, and that is true, and, and that's recorded in, in, in it, it's, it can be evidenced in scripture and history, a great deal of the tribe of Zarah were in the censuses taken by Moses on the plains of Moab in the book of Numbers, in both in both of those censuses, and in one Chronicles, in um 
in 1 Chronicles chapter 27, verses 11 and 13, and in many other places in Scripture, it's evident that there are Zara Judah in Palestine. So Kat is making another oversimplification and, and asserting that um, asserting that all of the Zarahites left for Europe, and at the same time saying that all the tribe of Judah that descended from Pharez, Eram and Kat is basically writing off Zara and, and not even counting them anymore as Judah because they left because they left from Egypt. And, and that attitude, that view, it is absolutely contrary to the Christian identity view. If half the tribe of Judah had left from Egypt, they would still be the tribe of Judah no matter where they went, as long as they didn't mix their race. So Kat is making a lot of oversimplifications here, and, 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 and he did a very poor job in, in this paper. E. Raymond Kat goes on to say, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. Jacob became the father of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. These 12 sons each became the head of a tribe called after his own personal name. From Judah, the fourth son of Jacob, are descended the Jews. If the word Jew is considered as being simply an abbreviation of the name Judah, a glance at the genealogy will show that it is impossible for Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob to have been Jews. Only the descendants of Judah could be called by this name, not his ancestors. No one had ever been named Judah until more than 200 years after Abraham. Again, Cap uh, makes the statement, quote, From Judah, the fourth son of Jacob, are descended the Jews. Unquote. The truth of the matter is, the Jews are not descended from the pure, from pure Judah, abbreviation or no abbreviation. For kind after kind does not bring forth bastards, uh, whom are always biblically rejected. And again, the truth is that many of these people that called themselves Jews after the time of Christ were never, many of them had no blood from Judah. They were only Edomites. They were only Edomites mixed with other races. Many of the people of Judah did intermingle with the Edomites. So, so well, either way you look at it, these people known as Jews came from those Edomites of Judea of the time from the Maccabees in, in, and John Hyrcanus when he conquered the Edomites and forced them all to be circumcised about 125 BC down to the time of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and all of the people at that time in the Roman province of Judea were called Judeans. They weren't the tribe of Judah. Very few of them, or, or a proportionately small number of them, were actually of the tribe of Judah, and the rest were Edomites and other Canaanites who were known as Judeans because Judea became the name of the Roman political province. They were Judeans, just like all these Negroes and Puerto Ricans today living in New York City are called New Yorkers, even though they are not the original English and German people who founded and, and built the colony and state later known as New York. So, so that these geographic Jews 
Most of them are Edomites and Canaanites and not Judah at all. And E. Raymond Kant in his paper absolutely fails to make that distinction. And that's the important distinction which must, which must be made. Kapp goes on to say, point three, Israel and Judah are separate nations. The 12 tribes of Israel became two nations with widely different destinies. This distinction or separation between Judah and Israel was foreshadowed at an early date. We read in Psalms chapter 114 verses 1 and 2. When Israel went out of Egypt, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. In Samuel's day, the two houses of Judah and Israel were numbered separately. In 1 Samuel chapter 11 verse 8 we read, And when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. Surely when the census at 1 Samuel 11 verse 8 was taken, Many families of uh, Zerah Judah had already migrated to the Dardanelles, also known as Hellas Point, and became the Trojans. Therefore, the, quote, 30,000, unquote, mentioned here doesn't represent all the men of Judah, but only includes the men of Perez Judah, with a remnant of uh, Zerah Judah. And when it uh, designates, quote, men, unquote, it probably is only counting the men uh, ready for war, omitting the women, children, and men too old for war. It seems like Capt has an unmitigated grudge against the tribe of Judah. Cap should have known better, and he is has written extensively about Zarajudah. Well, well, Cap should have known better. This is um, that this paper in 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 my reading of it, with your notes, of course, but in my reading of it, it, it seemed to me that um. E. Raymond Cap was basically trying to make apologies for these Jews that they are Judah, and we will see how he does that later on this evening. E. Raymond Cap continues by saying that notice that even at this early date, Israel numbered ten times more than Judah. The numerical contrast today is very much greater, and 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 this is Cap insinuating that Judah is really only the Jews when he says that. E. Raymond Katz has taken the entire tribe of Judah who were uh, deported by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. He's taken all the tribe of Judah that left from the main body of Israel, departed even before the Exodus with Moses. He's taken all these, that this 90% or better of the tribe of Judah, and he's absolutely forgetting that these people are Judah. While he says that today the contrast is very much greater, he's actually insinuating that these Jews are legitimate Judah. And that's a mortal sin. That That is absolutely contrary to the Bible and history. And Kat says, the Bible tells us that Judah would be few in number, but it tells us that Israel would be as the sands of the sea for multitudes. So he writes Hosea chapter 1. Verse 10, 
And, and that's simply not true. It's not the context of the passage, and Clifton will explain why. Had Kep read the next verse at Hosea 1, verse 11, he would have discovered that it states, quote, Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel be, uh, be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Question, how does the context change from Israel at uh, verse 10 and suddenly change to include both Judah and Israel at verse 12? And, and of course, there's... um. I don't see anything about Judah being few in number in, in, in Hosea chapter 1, unless I've missed something major. The, the, um, in Hosea chapter 1, Yahweh says he'll have mercy upon the house of Judah and, and will save them by Yahweh their God. I don't see where, where um, Judah was going to be a remnant, and, and the prophets say that Judah was going to be a remnant, and, and that's talking about Judah in Judea, and and 90% of Judah was taken away by the Assyrians before the Babylonians ever took them away. So I, I don't understand where Kat is getting this. Judah will be few in number from. The scriptures, E. Raymond Kat says, the scriptures tell us that David reigned seven years over Judah, before he was made king over Israel. If Judah and Israel were the same entity, how could this have been possible? Until the year 975 BC, the descendants of Jacob formed one nation, but they were spoken of as the two families, which Yahweh has chosen in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 24, and that's actually 500 years after 975 BC, or 400 years after, right? And then Kat says, in the year 975 B.C., at the death of King Solomon, Israel was divided into two nations. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 16, the expression, all Israel is used when Judah is excluded. Here we have a situation where Kat is comparing conditions at the time of 1 Samuel to the conditions at Jeremiah chapter 33, a span of 600 years. Yes, at the time of 1 Samuel, uh, 12, the 12 tribes were formed into one nation, but upon Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam ascended the throne, bringing with him heavy taxation, whereupon the northern 10 tribes of Israel rebelled and separated themselves from the southern kingdom of Judah. So Jeremiah had good reason for stating at verse, uh, at Jeremiah uh, 33 verse 24, quote, the two families which, uh, the two families which Yahweh hath chosen, hath even cast off. And the biggest problem with E. Raymond Capt, the, 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 the biggest cognitive disconnect I see, with his quoting Jeremiah 33:24 in relation to Judah, is that 
the remnant was not cast off. But Yahweh said he cast off the two families, meaning Judah, which means that, and as we see historically, most of Judah were taken away in the Assyrian deportations. That's the second family Yahweh cast off. He cast off Israel when they were taken away in the Assyrian deportations, and he cast off most of Judah when they were taken away in the Assyrian deportations. Yahweh didn't lose track of these people, but he cast them off. E. Raymond Cap is only giving his attention to the Israel half of the Assyrian deportations, and he's no, ignoring the fact that the the eighty percent or ninety percent of Judah taken away in the Assyrian deportations was still Judah after they were taken away in the Assyrian deportations. He's forgetting them, and he's concentrating on the remnant. And we're going to see how this is a big problem in his prophetic interpretation as this evening unfolds. E. Raymond Kapp goes on to say, but all Israel and Judah love David. He's quoting from that passage in Samuel, 1 Samuel 18, 16, because he went out and came in before them. Two Chronicles, chapter 10, verses 12 through 16, tell us that when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam came to the throne, the ten tribes rebelled, and under Jeroboam, formed the northern nation, while Judah, along with Benjamin and certain Levites, formed the southern kingdom. And, and of course, we read in, in those same chapters of Scripture that a good number of Israelites and all the Levites, or, or at least many of the Levites in Israel, went over to Judah at that time. The northern nation, he says, consist, which consisted of ten tribes, and, and that's how it was broken down simplistically, but it wasn't exactly true. The northern nation, which consisted of ten tribes, was known under the following national titles. Israel, Ephraim, Isaac, Samaria, the house of Israel, the house of Joseph, and the ten tribes. And then he says, point four, the division was of God. And this is true, of course. The southern nation, which consisted of the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, was known as Judah, the house of Judah and later as the Jews, and that is certainly not true. The capital of the southern nation was Jerusalem. It is an incontestable fact that the word, quote, Jew, unquote, did not come into existence until the year 1775. Prior to 1775, the word, quote, Jew, unquote, did not exist in any language on earth, the word Jew was introduced into the English language <coughs> for the first time in the 18th century when Sheridan used it in a play, The Rivals, chapter 2, <coughs> part 1 I think it is. Uh, <coughs> She shall have, I'll quote that there, quote, she shall have a skin like a mummy and a beard like a Jew, unquote. <coughs> the full text of Sheridan's Rivals can be found on the Internet. The form, quote, a J, was unknown in any alphabet until the 1500s A.D., Cat failed to explain how much later 
the Converso Edomite, uh, Edomites became known as Jews. And he, he, he takes this for granted that Judah was, the tribe of Judah was called the Jews, but the tribe of Judah, the remnant of Judah that was, that, that was remained until the time of Christ, according to the gospel itself, was converted to Christianity. And, and those who remained identified as Judeans, they didn't identify as Judeans after the tribe of Judah. That's a false claim that they made later. They actually identified as Judeans because they lived and came from and had adopted the religion of the land of Judea. They were geographical Judeans who were forcibly converted to the Judean religion. That does not make them the tribe of Judah. And and not hearing the, the, the voice of their master, they certainly were not his sheep. E. Raymond Cap goes on to say, in the third chapter of Jeremiah, Israel is five times called backsliding Israel, a term never once applied to Judah. And Judah is four times called treacherous Judah, a term not once applied to Israel. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8 reads, And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Ask those that declare that Israel and Judah are one and the same people to read that passage, analyzing it in the light of their belief. There are many such passages showing the clear distinction between Israel and Judah. There are more than 2,000 references to Israel in the Bible that have no reference whatsoever to the Jews. Well, well, of course, but there's a lot of references to Judah in the Bible that have no reference whatsoever to the Jews. Cap says, on the other hand, there are more than 500 references to Judah that have no reference to Israel. And that's true, but that doesn't make those references references to Jews. And yet there are those who are continually trying to tell us that there is no distinction between Israel and Judah. They continually refer to Israel as Jews and even change the name of Judah to Israel. It is as absurd as using the names America and England interchangeably. And of course, Cap's right about the distinction between Israel and Judah, but he doesn't count the distinction between Judah and Jews, and that's a major problem. He goes on to say, here is another quotation for these errant people, including pastors, to explain. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 11 states, Backsliding Israel has justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Make Israel and Judah one and the same people referred to, and the statement becomes ridiculous. Many today are evidently unacquainted with the fact that, according to biblical history, there was not a single Jew known as such upon the face of the earth earlier than 600 years after the death of Moses, or about 1,500 years after Abraham was born. Well, the death of Moses would be 800 B.C., and there was no Jews in 800 B.C. There were only mistranslations in the King James Bible, but there sure as hell aren't any Jews. Cap <laughs> concludes this section by saying, There were, of course, Hebrews and Israelites long before that time, and we will have Clifton's response. It is becoming quite evident that Cap is determined to throw Judah under the bus by creating a deep, dark chasm between the house of Judah and Israel. 
Cap utterly fails to grasp how closely Judah is genetically related to the house of Israel. Jacob, by his first wife Leah, fathered Reuben, Simeon, Simeon, uh, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, and Zebulun, all of whom formed tribes of the house of Israel, with the exception of Judah. That means that Judah and his five brothers had all had identical genetic sperm gene pools, which is the same principle that allows for a liberate marriage among the 12 tribes. It's like a family within a family. Not only that, but Leah and Rachel were full sisters with identical oocyte ovarian micro, uh, uh, was it? Uh, ovarian, um, nuclear DNA. Genetically, that would make Judah and Joseph very closely related. A hypothetical uh, example of a liberate marriage uh, among Judah and his five brothers might go something like this. Had Jacob's son Zebulun died in battle leaving a widow, Judah could have had a liberate marriage with Zebulun's widow and possibly a son being born and given the name of Zebulun. In such an, uh, in such an illustration, the tribe of Zebulun would have died out, would, would not have died out. In such a, in, su- in such a case, you know, of this, by, um, due to taking Zebulun, and this is hypothetical, oh, oh, of course, taking Zebulun's widow and having a liberate marriage. Uh, In such an illustration, the tribe of Zebulun would uh, not have died out, but would have continued to live on as a result of both Zebulun and Judah having identical uh, sperm gene pools. While... uh, while much of Cap's research is very excellent, he is barking up the wrong tree uh, on this subject. And that's true. Judah, Judah being from Leah, and five of the sons of, of, of the tribes of Israel being from Leah with Jacob, there should be no genetic difference between an Israelite and a member of the tribe of Judah. Right. That this that this cap is is basically ignoring the the race mixing that occurred in Judea in in the century and a half before the time of Christ the conversion of all these Edomites and the fact that Christ himself told these people that they were related to the children of Cain they were the children of Cain and and that they what were not his sheep that they were not true Judah and we see that very clearly in the pages of Josephus. We see it in Romans chapter 9. We see it in Luke chapter 11. We see it in John chapter 8. We see it in two chapters of the Revelation, 2, 9 and 3, 9. It, it's incredible that Capt had ignored all this evidence. A man who did su- such wonderful um, examinations of documents in other areas, 
just ignored that the entire truth of the distinction between Judah and Jews in the Bible. And it starts in Ezekiel chapter 34. And, and of course in Jeremiah chapter 2. We are um, halfway complete with this presentation. Clifton has written two short essays in, in two different parts addressing E. Raymond Katz's error in, in, in this topic. And, and now we're going to turn it over to Clifton for his introduction to part two. Um, in analyzing Katz's essay on uh, three different entities, it appears his teachings are shewed, be, uh, shewed. shewed because he identified one, Israel, two, Judah, and three, Jew. Because the term, quote, Jew, unquote, is so extraordinarily misleading, it might be better to distinguish, uh, to distinguish Judean, Judaism, and Canaanite, that you know, means Cain, you know, Kenite, Edomite, Canaanite Jew. By doing so, it would send a strong signal that might uh, strike the reader or hearer to inquire what such a term could mean. The best thing to do with the term, quote, Jew, unquote, is to avoid it like the plague. Uh, but if one cannot avoid it, uh, at least use uh, it in a definitive way, which Cap failed to do. We're going to present the first paragraph of um, the next section from this, the, these pages, 37 through 48, uh, of E. Raymond Cap's Biblical Antiquities, Book 2. Uh, I think it's, a, it's well, Clifton says here it's a four-book set. And E. Raymond Cap says, Abraham and Isaac were Hebrews, but they were neither Israelites nor Jews. And, and of course, that's true. The 12 sons of Jacob were Hebrews and Israelites, but they were not Jews. The same may be said of Moses or Aaron. The people of the northern kingdom and Elijah and Elisha, to avoid confusion over the expression Israel. It is necessary to determine in which sense it is used in any particular passage, whether it means the whole of the 12 tribes or the house of Judah alone is being part of the 12 tribes or three, the 10 tribe kingdom. And it seems that even E. Raymond capped because Israel, when the, the remnant of Judah left in Judea is very often referred to as Israel even in the New Testament. And E. Raymond Cat fails to make that distinction. Even Yahshua Christ called the remnant of Judah in the New Testament in Judea. Even Jesus Christ referred to them as Israel in at least one place in the New Testament. And if my memory serves me correctly, it's more like two or three. And Paul, of course, Paul of Tarsus also considered the remnant of Judah in the New Testament in Palestine to be Israel because they kept that name even though they were Judah. But many of the people in Palestine in ancient Judea were not Israel and Christ and Paul and the other apostles all clearly made that distinction as well. It seems that E. Raymond Capt missed that totally.
When Caps stated above, quote, the 12 sons of Jacob were uh, Hebrews and Israelites, but they were not uh, Jews, unquote. He should have turned around, he shouldn't have turned, he should not have turned around uh, at other places in this essay and contradicted himself time and time again. However, it is recorded that Judah himself and some of the descendants did mix with the Canaanites, but all the bastard offspring from such a union were rejected as Cain was ex- exiled to wandering. Read Ezra and Nehemiah. And right, Ezra and Nehemiah what were very careful of their Judahite genealogy and forced the children, they compelled any of the Israelites who had mixed their race with the surrounding peoples after the return from Babylon to put away not only the wives, the, the alien wives they had married, but also the bastard children that resulted from those mixed marriages. And even the Maccabees, from the time of Judas Maccabee until the time of John Hyrcanus, wherever the Maccabees went in Judea when they were branching out from Jerusalem and, and, and conquering cities around them in order to ensure their own well-being, they ran off. If you read the first book of Maccabees, they ran off all of the alien people out of the cities they conquered. But when we get to the time of John Hyrcanus, from 129 BC forward, which is not recorded in the book of Maccabees, but which is recorded in the histories of Flavius Josephus. John Hyrcanus is the one who started converting all of the Edomites and Canaanites. So we can imagine through the documents which we have that until 129 BC, the Judahites who returned to Jerusalem from Babylon did their utmost to keep their race pure. But from the time of John Hyrcanus, they were converting the Edomites to Judaism, which is what they were calling their religion, and circumcising them and intermingling with them. And that started in 129 BC. The results of that, the results of that intermingling are not more people of the tribe of Judah. The results of that intermingling are more people who are bastards and Canaanites and who cannot be counted as Judah, and they are the Jews of today. So, so E. Raymond Capt is, is ignoring a great deal of the history of, of Judea. And, and that's sad because he seems that he knows it. He seems to be making the distinction. And then, as you said, Clifton, he's contradicting himself. And he's denying the distinction that even he himself makes in other places. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I'm going to move on to um, the, the next words, and, and, and they're quite short. It's point five of, it's the beginning of point five of E. Raymond Capp's statement. And he says, ten tribes of Israel were never called Jews in the Bible. Remember that Kat is listing these points in order to distinguish Israel and Judah, and and much of that is okay. And he says, nothing can be more unscriptural than to call all Israelites Jews. 
It is as absurd as calling all Americans Californians. Most Israelites are not Jews because they are descendants of the other tribes of Israel. Cap just got through writing, quote, Most Israelites are not Jews because they are the descendants of the other tribes of Israel. What is... um, is Cap saying here that some of the house of Israel are Jews? I mean, I'll go back here. He, uh, Cap just got through writing, most Israelites are not Jews. Now, he word, used the word Jews. So I asked the question, uh, is Cap saying here that some of the house of Israel are Jews? Uh, what does Cap mean by the word most? Uh, you, does he mean part, partly or more or most or all? What does he mean? It isn't clear. And what does Cap mean by the phrase other tribes? You know, quote, under other tribes, unquote. What other tribes of Israel? Yeah, that's another question. What other tribes of Israel? Cap isn't making any sense here. But, well, Cap's not making any sense because if you're a Jew, you're not an Israelite because the Jews are descended from the Edomites and the mixed races of Judea. None of the tribes of Israel are Jews. E. Raymond's Cap goes on to say that the term Jew was never used until more than a thousand years after Abraham. And that's a lie because E. Raymond Cap is taking it for granted that just because the translators of the English Bibles after the 1600s looked at the term Judean and wrote in, in Greek and wrote Jew, or just because they looked at the term Judahite, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for Judahite and wrote Jew, E. Raymond Kapp is insisting that we accept their mistakes. A Judean is not a Jew. A Judahite is not a Jew. They are errors of the translators, and there were no Jews until after the 1700s. Now, it's true that these Judeans continued that these Edomite Judeans continued to refer to themselves as Judeans, but we can't say that the word Jew, it's not, E. Raymond Kapp is forcing the translator errors on his readers. He obviously accepts them, and he is trying to force us to accept them, and anybody as well-versed in Christian identity as E. Raymond Kapp was, should have known better than to do that. He says, errantly, the term Jew was never used until more than a thousand years after Abraham. Actually, it wasn't used for 3,700 years after Abraham. It appears for the first time in 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 5 and 6. Well, just because it says that in the English Bible doesn't mean that that's what the scribes wrote. Where we are told that the king of Israel, together with the king of Syria, made war against the king of Judah. Now, since in this passage, Israel, one kingdom, made war against the Jews, another kingdom, which isn't true, that they made war against the Judahites, how can they both be Jews? And that's a way to um, conveniently show the, the, the people that don't know any better that there's a difference between Israel and Jews. 
But these people should have, none of these people should have ever been called Jews. And Kat says, the scriptures never once refer to the ten tribe house of Israel as the Jews, neither past, present, nor future. The term, the Jews, never in God's word applied to the twelve tribes collectively, nor to the ten tribe house of Israel. And I'd like to say one more thing before we return to Clifton, and, and that's the fact that the tribe of Judah was never referred to as Jews. Not until the translators' mistakes of assuming that these people calling themselves Jews were Judah, as they falsely claim, was true. And it's certainly not true. There is a serious problem with Cap's citation of 2 Kings 16, uh, verses 5 and 6 above. The mistranslated term Jew in verse 6 is Strong's uh, number 3064, thusly. But I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to speak of two of uh, Strong's numbers, and we're going to use uh, number 3064, and one that's closely related, 3063. Okay, for uh, now for uh, zero, 3064. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's pronounced, uh, the pronunciation he has is Y-E-H dash H-O-O-D-E-E and evidently um, Strong is pronouncing it Yehudi. Paran, uh, patrionic from uh, 3063. That's why I'm including both these numbers. <clears throat> a, a Judaite, i.e. Judaite or Jew, or de, uh, de, uh, derived from uh, father's name. Since it is not biblically recorded that Judah had descendants by the name Jew, uh, this term is a misnomer. Further, it should be pointed out that Judah, at birth, Genesis uh, 2935, is Strong's uh, number 3063. Uh, and, and, and a note here, and, and, and William uh, Fink agrees with it, it is not Y-E-H, like in, 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 uh, in the, in the pronunciation, Y-E-H dash H-O-O dash D-E-E. It should be Y-A-H H-O-O D-E. Um, so, uh, I have in, in, in the note, it is not, quote, Y-E-H, unquote, but uh, Y-A-H, like in Yahweh. Well, well, it's true that, um, it, it's true that Strong's followed the Jews. And, and that's in, in their pronunciations. And that's one of the biggest problems, what with, um, Christian academics is that for centuries and centuries, everybody that wanted to learn Hebrew turned to the Jews to, to learn Hebrew.
Uh, now we'll uh, take a look at the close related uh, word uh, 3063, and it's pronounced, uh, you know, strong is uh, pronounced Y-E-H-H-O-O-D-A-W uh, from um, 3034 celebrated, i.e. praised, uh, Judah, uh, or Jehuda, or Judah. Jehuda, or Judah, the name of five Israelites, also of the uh, tribe descended from the first, and of its territory, in the KJV as Judah, not uh, because the Jews. Note, rather, note, because the Jews are descended from Cain, among other evil peoples, they are vagabonds and have no territory. Until they um, founded Zionism and, and convinced the Americans and the English to get them some territory so that, that they could have a den of thieves and, and an excuse in the Middle East to flood Europe with Arabs. And in... We'll go back to Raymond Katz with that. Clifton, it, it's a little, um, it's a little burdensome to try to reflect what a Strong's concordance definition says in, in English and that the, the minute details of that, but it has to be done sometimes. E. Raymond Katz says next, in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 11, nearly 400 years after the tribes were divided by God into the two kingdoms, quote-unquote, the whole house of Israel and, quote-unquote, the whole house of Judah are both spoken of in the same verse, proving that neither house without the other constitutes all of the Lord's chosen people. And and, and that's fine and that's true, but E. Raymond Katz is going to still go down to the time of Christ and imagine the Jews to be Judah, and that's not true, and that's not fine. Here, Capt is quoting Jeremiah 13, verse 11, without checking out all the uh, Hebrew words. Uh, in this particular instance, the word translated, quote, whole, unquote, in the English. In the Hebrew, it is Strong's number uh, 3605, thusly. And, and there uh, will be two two words here. The, the first one's 3065 and uh, uh, it is pronounced K-O-L-E or evidently coal or something like that from uh, 3634. Uh, Properly the, and I got it in uh, italics whole, but often in the plural sense. Uh Number um, three six three four. Uh, it's K A W dash L A L. A primitive root uh, to complete, rendered in the King James as make perfect. In English, the term whole is defined uh, one being in 
healthy or sound condition. Two, having all its parts or elements uh, uh, entire, complete, intact. Three, consisting of the total sum of. Then it skips over to six. Six, having both parents in common. Uh, definition seven of the entire for whole. Uh, let me. See, I'm not reading that very good. I've, I've got this in parentheses. Definition seven of the entity for whole in the online Merriam-Webster dictionary confirms this. The term Jew and Jews being of mixed origin hardly fits this description. Well, well, the the, the Merriam-Webster dictionary and 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 its online. In, in its definition of the word whole, W-H-O-L-E, in, in definition seven simply describes what, when, that when the word refers to people, it, it and, and a collection of people that, that it, it implies that they're of the same mother and father. So, so the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah have the same paternal and maternal origins and identity is what Clifton is driving at. E. Raymond Cap continues by saying, the 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel clearly points out the separation of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. They are symbolically referred to as two sticks presently separated. But would someday, after the captivity and scattering among the heathen, be reunited into one nation? We read in verses 16 and 17, and, and let me say that those heathen are really the other Adamic nations, the Japethites of the Oikumene. We read in verses 16 and 17, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it. For Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions, then take another stick and write upon it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. Continuing in verses 21 to 22, and say unto them, meaning continuing with the quote from Jeremiah, from Ezekiel 37, verses 21 and 22, and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. And E. Raymond Cap, and, and this is a horrendous crime he perpetrates here, but I'll talk about it after we hear from Clifton. E. Raymond Cap goes on to say, Thus we see that the two houses were separate, but they would not always remain that way. Notice that one of the sticks represents the scepter people, and the other the birthright people. Judah, the inheritor of the scepter, is only a half-brother to Joseph, the inheritor of the birthright. The scepter and the birthright inheritors are two families with different mothers. How could the distinction between the scepter and the birthright families of Judah and Israel be more emphatic? And we'll hear from Clifton. Your captain is forming a, a premise concerning 
the two, tra- uh, the, the two houses of one Israel and two Judah by making the statement, uh, uh, quote, notice that one of the sticks uh, represents the scepter people and the other the birthright people. Judah, the uh, inheritor of the scepter, is only half brother to Joseph and the inheritor of the birthright. The scepter and the birthright uh, inheritors are two families with different mothers. I would say I would say the key uh, in the follow on the following. I I would like to key in rather. I would like to key in on the following. Uh, uh, Judah. The inheritor of the scepter is only a half-brother to Joseph. The scepter and the birthright inheritors are two families with different mothers. Here, Kat is attempting to separate as much as possible the two houses of Judah uh, and Israel of the twelve tribes. First of all, the phrase half-brothers cannot be found anywhere in the Bible, although it might be implied in some texts. Uh, let's take a look at this, uh, quote, half-brother thing from uh, a scientific uh, viewpoint. As today we have, um, as of today we know more about DNA and chromosomes uh, in the subject of genetics, I will um, I will repeat part of what I stated in part one of this review, and, and I'm doing this because uh, I want to drive home this point of the genetic uh, differences between the tribes of Israel. Uh, Cap utterly fails to grasp how closely Judah is genetically related to the house of Israel. Uh, Jacob, by his first wife Leah, fathered Reuben, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, of whom formed uh, tribes in the house of Israel, with exception of Judah. And then I skip over a little bit. This means that Judah and his five brothers all had identical nuclear DNA, which is the same principle that allows a liver marriage possible in the 12 tribes. Not only that, but Leah and Rachel were sisters with identical oocyte ovarian DNA. Genetically, that would make uh, Judah and Joseph very closely related. Indeed. With this evidence, Judah was close to being uh, a full genetic brother to Joseph. Absolutely. They had the same father and their mothers were sisters by the same parents. Uh, So basically, there's no real... Even though their mothers were sisters by the same parents, there's no real genetic difference at all whatsoever. So, so Judah is the, the 12 tribes of Israel 
that the um that the four tribes that came from the handmaids they they can be said honestly to have had different mothers even though it's evident that those handmaids were probably from the same tribe as the woman that they were chosen to serve Rachel and, and Leah but Rachel and Leah being full sisters the eight tribes of Israel that descended from Rachel and Leah really have no genetic differences at all. And it's absolutely unfair to, to imagine that they did. It's also unscientific and unscriptural. We're going to um, continue with E. Raymond Cap, but before I do, I want to notice in, in the 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, where, where Cap is talking about the the, the one-stick prophecy, that Judah and Israel, and this is important because this plays into the historical reality behind the prophecy, Judah and Israel in Ezekiel 37, verses 16 and 17, are called companions. Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. And then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. We see that most of Judah was taken into the Assyrian captivity before Ezekiel had written this, along with most of Israel. Only the people of Jerusalem were left. And here in Ezekiel chapter 37, all of Israel and all of Judah in the Assyrian captivity are considered companions. And, and that's going to be very important when we discuss the fulfillment of the prophecy, which Cap has entirely wrong. He's entirely wrong about it. And we'll continue with E. Raymond Cap, where he says, God divided the Abrahamic promises among Jacob's 12 sons. And when he said through Jacob that Ephraim's seed shall become a multitude of nations, he was not referring to the Jews who have never nor ever will be a multitude of nations. God was speaking to the birthright heirs, the nation and a company of nations promised in Genesis chapter 35, verse 11, was a birthright blessing to be fulfilled in the last days before Christ returned to Joseph and his descendants as recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9, God said, Ephraim is my firstborn. And Genesis chapter 48, verse 19, Jacob said to Ephraim, his seed shall become a multitude of nations. This was just the opposite of what was said of Judah in Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 11 and 12. He shall become a remnant. That this promise to Israel was not to Judah is proven by the fact that Judah has never been a multitude of nations and never will be. And and all I'm going to say before I hear from before we hear from Clifton is that Cat is taking Jeremiah chapter 40 verses 11 and 12 entirely out of context. He shall become a remnant. He's talking about Judah in Palestine, not the the the, the greater portion of the tribe of Judah, which was already in Assyrian captivity. If we wanted to interpret that in that manner, then we must take Isaiah and the words of the prophet Isaiah, where he said, in 65 years, Ephraim shall no longer be a message, a nation. 
in 65 years, in three score and five years, Ephraim shall no longer be a nation, is what Isaiah said. If we are to take Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 11 and 12, and apply it to Judah in captivity, like E. Raymond Cat tries to do, then we have to take Isaiah, where he says in three score and five years, Ephraim will no longer be a nation, and we apply that to Ephraim in captivity, which is the same rule of, of measure that E. Raymond Cat is doing with Judah, and that is also wrong. Both of those prophecies referred to Ephraim in Palestine and Judah in Palestine. They did not refer to the children of Israel in captivity. E. Raymond Kath is picking and choosing, and he is wrong. It is clear here that Kath is trying to lower Judah down to the lowest possible denominator. And, uh, and, and I have this in parentheses then, i.e. Uh, part of a fraction below the line. Cap just got through stating, quote, this promise uh, to Israel was not to Judah uh, is proven by the fact that Judah has never been a, uh, a multitude of nations and never will be. Uh, however, a cat neglected to go back to Genesis 35:11, where the promise where this promise was first mentioned to, to uh, Jacob and Elohim said unto him thy name is Jacob thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob but Israel shall be thy name and he uh, called his name Israel and Elohim said unto him, I am Elohim Almighty, be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy uh, loins. This is unconditional confirmation that when Yahweh addresses addressed Jacob Israel, quote, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall come of thee, unquote. The Almighty was uh, speaking collectively of the future house of Israel and Judah, and when the Almighty made this declaration, the house of Israel and the house of Judah were not in existence. In part one of this uh, review, Cap stated, quote, the Bible tells us that Judah would be few in number, but it tells us that Judah would be uh, as the sands of the sea, that Israel, that Israel would be the sands of the sea that, uh, for multitudes. Uh, so, so writes Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, I replied that had Cap read the next verse, uh, Hosea 1.11, he would have uh, discovered that it states, "Then shall the children of Israel and the children of, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one hand head rather, and they shall uh, come out of the land, 
for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Question, how does the context change uh, from Israel only at verse 10 and suddenly change uh, to include uh, both Judah and Israel at verse 11? From critical view number one, I stated, uh, uh, surely when this census at First Samuel 11.8 was taken, many families of Zarah had already migrated to the Dardanelles, also known as Hellas Point, and became the Trojans. Therefore, the uh, 30,000 mentioned here doesn't represent all the men of Judah, but only includes the men of Perez with a remnant of Zarah Cap should have known better as he had has written extensively on Zarah The The biggest mistake that E. Raymond Cap is making here, and, and we're going to see more of it a little later, <laughs> is that he's taking promises made to Abraham and Israel and he's claiming and and things said about Judah and he's claiming that and, and he's claiming it indirectly but he's claiming it nevertheless that these things don't apply to the remnant of Judah in Palestine and, and he claims that explicitly but the promises to Judah he claims indirectly, he doesn't really state it explicitly, were never meant to apply to Judah and Palestine. The promises to the children of Israel were fulfilled by Judah as well as the other 11 tribes after the Assyrian captivity. These things came to be true. Abraham became many nations and, and a company of nations after, and kings came out of his loins, and, and we see that Captain admits the tribe of Judah is the scepter tribe, after the Assyrian captivity, as the tribes of Israel had, had continued, that, that they, some of them started earlier, but as the tribes of Israel continued and fulfilled their migrations into Europe and the West, that's where Judah, as well as the other 11 tribes, fulfilled the promises made to the fathers. E. Raymond Capt, in consideration of Judah's role in these promises, is focusing on Palestine, and he shouldn't be doing that. There's another entire collection of prophecies concerning the remnant of Judah in Palestine which the ears of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had never received. These prophecies concerning the remnant of Judah in Palestine are found in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, especially in the prophet Daniel. But those things concerning the messianic prophecies to occur among the remnant of Judah in Palestine, those things were never given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet, Judah in captivity, has a full share of all the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, the blessings of Jacob in Genesis 49, 
and the blessings of Moses in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 33. And E. Raymond Cap is ignoring, he's absolutely ignoring the fact that those things were fulfilled in Judah in captivity. And Judah in captivity was never, none of those people were ever known as Jews. So E. Raymond Capps, ignoring Judah in captivity and the application of the promises to the patriarchs to Judah in captivity does us a great disservice because he's waiting for those things to be fulfilled in the Jews. Here, E. Raymond Capt is making assumptions about the book of Micah, which don't, which apply to all Israel, but which don't apply to Judah at all. And this is a very wrong statement. And he goes on to say, the book of Micah plainly teaches that the Jews who halted were to become a remnant. While the Micah chapter four says nothing about Jews. While Israel that was cast far off was to become a strong nation, as written in Micah chapter four, verse seven. It is important to notice that neither the major nor the minor prophets appear in the Old Testament until about 200 years after the division of the 12 tribes into two nations. What then did they find was the condition of God's chosen race? Was there any sign of amalgamation among them? No, the prophets found them still divided into two nations. They had separate kings, separate administrations, separate national alliances, and of course, separate national titles. The national title of the ten tribes was Israel or Ephraim, because the tribe of Ephraim had become the tribe of the birthright due to the sin of Reuben. The national title of the other two tribes was Judah, a remnant of which were later called the Jews. And we will hear from Cliff. Uh, some of this is true, but this doesn't change the fact that Reuben, Simeon, Simeon, uh, I'll go back over that again. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Ishakar, and Zebulun of the northern ten tribes of Israel were full brothers to Judah and Judah's descendants through Perez and Zerah. And those who were later called Jews were the Edomite proselytes who were converted to uh, Israelite customs under Hyrcanus, whom we now call Edomite Jews, uh, caps uh, also misleads Micah. Well, well Micah chapter 4, in, in Micah chapter 4, Yahweh says of Israel being cast off that he will make those who... who, who he, he will make those who tarried or, or those who remained behind a remnant and would make those who were cast far off a strong nation. That is not a comparison of Judah and Israel. That is only a, a reference to the Israelites who did not travel far off in their dispersions from Palestine that they staying close by would become a remnant. And, and we see that all of the Scythian and, and Parthian and Israelite tribes who stayed in Mesopotamia 
and Asia and Eastern Europe in their travels did indeed, and Anatolia did indeed become a remnant. And today there is no remnant hardly of them, if at all. And, and those, and, and that the further away Israel traveled, Israel, including Israel and Judah, the further away they traveled in their dispersions, the stronger nations they became. And, and until we get to Germany and Britain and eventually to the United States, the further away we left from Palestine, the stronger a nation we became. And, and that includes Israel and Judah. There's no contrast of Israel and Judah in Micah. E. Raymond Capt has interpreted that and read Judah into it when the prophet wasn't talking about Judah at all. And, and that's a, a, a very um, convenient but novel and, and contrived interpretation of the prophecy. E. Raymond Capt is just wrong for that. We'll continue with um, E. Raymond Capt's words where he says, It was during the state of affairs that the prophets commenced their ministry. Some residing in Israel's territory and others in Judah's territory. The prophets addressed these two nations by the names that God gave them. Israel being the title which the northern nation had decided to retain and Judah being the title which the southern nation had decided to assume. And, and, and that's right there. He's, he, he's casting dispersions in his choice of words in that description. <laughs> Hence, we find that all through their writings, whether warning, rebuking, directing, or consoling, and whether their words were historical or prophetical, the prophets recognized the separate condition of the two nations and accordingly addressed them by their chosen and well-known national titles. It is known through Bible history that the house of Israel, together with a large portion of the house of Judah, were taken into Assyrian captivity around 721 B.C. And right there, E. Raymond Cap is telling us, as he himself should well know, that a large portion of the house of Judah was indeed taken into Assyrian captivity around 721 B.C., but he refuses to recognize that biblical prophecy concerning Judah was fulfilled in that large portion of the house of Judah taken into captivity. He continues to focus all biblical prophecy around the people of Judah, of the remnant in Jerusalem. And that's simply not an honest way to look at biblical prophecy. He goes on to say, while those of Judah and Jerusalem were carried away into Babylon, Babylon, into Babylonian captivity some 133 years later, around 588 B.C., we know that only a portion of these later people returned 70 years later in answer to Nehemiah's call to rebuild the temple. The people of Israel as a whole never returned except for a small group, a representation of the house of Israel. And, and I'm sorry, Clifton seems to be having a hard time this evening. But, but we'll wait until we can hear from him. Cap uh, <clears throat> recognizes Judah in the Assyrian captivity, but Cap does not realize that the promises to Israel and Judah and Genesis were fulfilled by Zerah Judah and uh, Judah taken into uh, captivity by Assyria not by the remnant of Judah, which had a different purpose. And all of the messianic prophecies concerning the remnant of Judah 
came long after those promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob concerning 12 tribes and, and Abraham's seed becoming many nations. Judah in captivity fulfilled the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where Judah the remnant fulfilled the messianic prophecies which came later. And Kat is confusing the two, even though he, re- he, he, he recognizes Judah in captivity, he's refusing to apply any of the prophecies to them. Or to imagine that they fulfilled any of those prophecies. Kat goes on to say, and he shouldn't even be talking to Orthodox Jews, uh, and uh, according to, um, or, or, or in relation to the children of Israel. But he goes on to say, Orthodox Jews, even to this day, know that they do not represent the ten tribe house of Israel. On the day of the Feast of Trumpets and on the Day of Atonement, they include in their prayers Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 20, and pray that Ephraim Israel, that is, the ten tribes, may be united with them. Of course, the Jews would love to make us all Jews. The rabbi, Dr. Hertz of London, says, People known at present as Jews are descendants of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And that is something that Katz really goes wrong on because it gives Jews, who are all bastards, legitimacy. He goes on to quote Dr. Hertz of London where he says, We look forward to the gathering of all the tribes at some future date. Then Katz says, The learned Isaac Leiser says that the Israelitish nation was left in banishment after the return of the Jews from Babylon. And, and of course, Kat is just quoting a whole long list of Jews here. And he says, Professor Neubauer wrote, The hope of the return of the ten tribes has never ceased among the Jews in exile. Then Kat says, Josephus, a Jew, and that's a simple lie. Josephus, a Jew, and loyal to Jewish history and tradition, wrote about 70 A.D., or about 700 years after the captivity of ten tribes Israel, as follows. The ten tribes did not return to Palestine. Only two tribes served the Romans after Palestine became a province. And we'll hear from Clifton. Well, this is a short one for me. Uh, 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 Josephus was not of the tribe of Judah, but was a Levite. Now, now E. Raymond Capp is with all certainty equating the Israelite the, the, the Israelite tribe of Judah and its remnant in Palestine to these Edomite Jews. And he 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 labels Josephus the Judean historian. He labels Josephus a Jew and Josephus himself was the one who explained that all of these Edomites were forcibly converted to Judaism and that they were labeled Jews. But Josephus would have never considered himself an Edomite. Josephus was a Levite of Judea. He was never a Jew. It's only the translators, the, the, the denominational Christian translators of modern times who would claim that Josephus was a Jew Josephus never, ever called himself a Jew, and he never was faithful to Jewish history and tradition. He was only faithful to Judean history and tradition, and that of the tribes of Israel and Judah in antiquity. 
Kat goes on to say, point seven, ten tribe Israel is a non-Jewish people. And he says, the separation into the two nations took place many years before any of the major or minor prophets wrote. Therefore, the Israel known to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, our Lord, the evangelists and the apostles had no tribe of Judah in it. And that's simply not true because our Lord was of the tribe of Judah. Israel, as known to all these writers, was a non-Jewish people. And that's not true because, well, well they were not Jews, but they certainly did include Judah because Joshua Christ himself referred to all Israel talking to the people of Judah, to the people of Judah in Judea. And Kat goes on to say, Israel has remained a non-Jewish people to this day. The amalgamation theory is hopelessly discredited in the presence of the Bible. The closing books of Bible history leave Israel and Judah in separation from each other. While Bible prophecy keeps them separated until reconciled and united in the kingdom age. And Clifton asks, would this also separate Christ from his disciples? Because many of the disciples we perceive were of the tribe of Benjamin, including Paul of Tarsus. And Yahshua Christ, Jesus Christ, we are told, was of the tribe of Judah. So Cap is not being, and Clifton is using this as a device, but Cap is not being fair in this assessment because he is obviously considering the Edomite Jews to be Judah. And that's where he goes wrong. And Cap goes on to state, Hosea's statement in Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 reveals that Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. This statement is not made concerning Judah. And yes, it certainly is, as Clifton pointed out. Cap says himself, Cap himself says, in Hosea chapter 1, verse 11, we read, Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And Cap asks, Did the two nations of captives gather together and amalgamate while in the lands of their captivities? And Cap is doubting that. But the real answer is yes, because we see in Ezekiel chapter 37 that Yahweh would make Israel and Judah one stick. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, Yahweh says that Judah and Israel are companions at that time before they would be made one stick. And we see that even E. Raymond Kapt admits that most of Judah was taken into Assyrian captivity along with Israel. But E. Raymond Kapt admits that, but he refuses to see that they did amalgamate, as Ezekiel chapter 37 says. And Yahweh made them one stick when they accepted Christianity in Europe, but E. Raymond Kapt refuses to go there because he's concentrating on seeing the prophecy fulfilled in the remnant, and most of the Israelites in that remnant were already converted to Christianity long before any Judean, any Edomite Judean, was ever called in English a Jew. Kat refuses to see that the Jews are not Judah, and that's the danger in this paper that Clifton Emmerheiser is trying to point out. And I'm going to continue with Kat. And, and let Clifton make his, his reply. And Kat goes on to say, 
This statement is not made concerning Judah. In Hosea chapter 1 verse 11 we read, Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And Kapt asks, Did the two nations of captives gather together and amalgamate while in the lands of their captivities? Did they together appoint themselves one head when the small remnant of Judah returned to Babylon? And I would say no. They appointed themselves one head when Judah and Israel in Europe accepted Christ. And Kapt refuses to see that, and he's wrong for it. Kapt goes on to say, both Ezra and Nehemiah, who were the historians of the Babylonian return, inform us that this was not the case. Well, of course, because Ezra and Nehemiah what were only of the concern with the remnant in Judea. And Clifton M. Heiser makes a note here that it was the case with Zara Judah and with all of Judah taken away by the Assyrians. People whom the remnant of Ezra and Nehemiah do not consider. So Kapt is, is really going wrong here by trying to insist that these Jews, these people today known as Jews, are yet to amalgamate. That's the point he's trying to make here, that they will amalgamate in the future to the children of Israel. That's what Kapt is insinuating here. Kapt is just like these, that these, these dispensationalist Judeo-Christians. E. Raymond Kapt is just like John Hagee. He's no different, waiting for the Jews to be rejoined to Israel and converted to Christ. That's what E. Raymond Kapt is doing here, and it's poison. And, and I'm sorry, I'm talking too much. I want to get back to Clifton. I have to finish this Kapt quote, and, and it's hard for me to do it. And, and Kapt goes on to say, Ezra chapter 2 verse 1 shows us that those who returned to Jerusalem were all from one province. The word is in the singular. This is proof that the house of Israel, who were captive not in this province but in another country, did not return. And of course, well, well the house of Israel didn't return, but neither did most of Judah. And neither did any of Judah who were taken away by the Assyrians. Kapt goes on to say, also in the book of Ezra, which mentions the two tribes that returned, none of the ten tribes were listed. In the book of Nehemiah, which states that only Judah and Benjamin returned, none of the ten tribes are mentioned. It is important to understand that in scriptures, the terms Israel, Judah, and Jew are not synonymous. And, and that's good, but he's been throwing Judah under the bus in favor of the Jews for five pages now. And he says, it is equally important to understand that the house of Israel is not synonymous with the house of Judah. The course of history is widely divergent for the peoples properly classified under each of these titles. When God speaks in prophecy to the house of Israel or the house of Judah, he does not refer to the modern Jewish nation of the state of Israel or the Israelis, which is recognized as a racially mixed nation. Its citizens are drawn from many nations and races that adopted Judaism as early as the 8th and 9th centuries A.D. And that last paragraph was a lot better for me, Raymond Kapt, but he's clearly, as Clifton pointed out, in conflict with himself. He's a double-minded man all throughout this book. E. Raymond Kapt goes on to say, Modern Jewry can be grouped into two main sections. The Ashkenazim section of European Jews is by far the greater. Reliable Hebrew authorities have computed. I don't know if there are any reliable Hebrew authorities. Not if they're Jews. If they're Jews, they can't possibly be Hebrew authorities because they're not Hebrews. And, and I can't finish this. 
Cap says reliable Hebrew authorities have computed that over 90% of all modern Jews belong to this division, meaning the Ashkenazim, the members of which have been drawn from many nations during the centuries of Western migrations. And here, Cap really goes wrong, and it gets worse and worse. And he says, the Sephardim, or true Spanish Jews, derived from ancestors who settled in Spain, Portugal, and North Africa from the time of the Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem. Racially, they are much less mixed than the Ashkenazim, despite a North African Sephardic element. And there is no way that there were Sephardic Jews in Spain as early as the Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem, but there were true Israelites in Spain, and the Sephardic Jews are not quote-unquote, true Spanish Jews, what they are, are true Spanish Edomite Canaanite Jews. And and with that, we'll turn it over to Clifton Emmerheiser. Notice here that Cap is saying that the Sephardim, or true Spanish Jews, are much less mixed than the Ashkenazim. Uh, to be uh, a true Judaite, One's race must be unmixed, not less or more, but pure. And that's that, that's right. It, it's to be less mixed is to be less of a bastard. How do you be less of a bastard? A bastard is a bastard. Maybe a twenty percent. And, and a bastard is not a son. What What about a twenty percenter? A 15 percenter. Oh, 15 percent. Yeah, that's a famous one. <laughs> we, we have just a little bit more from, from, from E. Raymond Capt, and, and he goes on, and, and this is more or less in conclusion, and, and Clifton quotes him to say, to summarize, the prophets display meticulous care in their addresses to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. To apply to one house of prophecy which refers to the other is clearly to misapply the message and confuse the issue. By failing to treat the house of Israel and the house of Judah as separate entities, the prophetic books of the Bible are set at variance with one another. Without this distinction, the words of one prophet nullify the pronouncements of a fellow prophet. It makes Isaiah call into question the prophecies of Jeremiah and causes Jeremiah to impugn the declaration of Hosea. It sets Joel against Amos. Stephaniah against Zechariah and makes Ezekiel contradict them all. Examples of such failure to make a distinction between the two houses are found in the paraphrasing of the modern living Bible, which leaves the truth seeker bereft of understanding. And that's, that, that's it for E. Raymond Cap. And in truth, by considering that any of these mixed race Jews are actually Judah, E. Raymond Cap sets himself in opposition to Christ. And we'll hear from Cliff. Well, Bill, I think you've done a pretty good job here um, with with your uh, own comments on this. And, and I really don't have too much uh, to add to it. Uh, um, I'm pretty well pleased uh, with the way the program has turned out. Well, well even McCann, he's turned to universalism at the end of his life, right? Yes, he... Uh, um, he did, and uh, we went up to see him in uh, Detroit, Michigan, my wife and I, and um, and he was up there with Sheldon Emery, and uh, uh, 
try to think who else, but but that little church up there in Detroit, they were universal, and um, A. Raymond Cap was suggested to us that we should, uh, you know, drive a, a, a hundred or 150 miles up there each week to to go to church up there, that little church, and they, and and the the uh, so-called minister at that church was a universalist. So Cap was promoting universalism well, and promoting uh, universalist by, churches. By telling us to go up there and follow that guy, uh, yes, that's what he was indirectly telling us to do. Well, well, here he certainly shows a divided mind where he recognizes Judah in the captivity and, and, and understands that that's true Judah, but he keeps trying to pin the label of Judah on the people of Ju- the, the people of the Jews who are the Edomites that rejected Christ and who he admits are mixed race. Yes, right. And he still tries to label them as Judah. Yet yeah. if you're a bastard, you cannot be a son. Yes, and Cap, uh, in his later ministry, he turned against the two seed line doctrine. Which is clear in scripture. It, it's, it, it's a shame. E. Raymond Kant did a lot of great work and, and it's a shame that at the end of his life, he went off into error and, and we can only conjecture as to why. I don't know the man personally. I didn't know him, of course, but it, it's, um, to, to see good scholars, to me, in my purview, to cave in to the demands of the world and, and, and mystery Babylon. To, to compromise with the, the devil himself it is, it is very unfortunate. I wouldn't recommend that everybody uh, throw away all their uh, books and stuff that uh, they might have of E. Raymond Cap, but I'd surely suggest that uh, they would scrutinize his uh, writings very carefully. And uh, I found it several places in his writings that he's doing the same thing that we have showed you what he uh, what he's doing here tonight, and and whenever Judah comes up, and he, time after time he he throws Judah under the bus. Well, well, it's very clear in 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 the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven that the the Judah that would be. Joined to Israel as one stick would be the companions to Israel, and that can only be found in in the Germanic tribes and, and the earlier tribes of Israelites in Europe. They were the companions, Judah and Israel, and they appointed themselves one head when they accepted the gospel of Christ, and that's when they became one stick. Now, there are many other prophecies in play, but that's when they became one stick, when they all became Christians. And the perfection of this fulfillment is still in the future, but they all will be Christians with Christ as their king. He is their one head, and none of them will be mixed-race Jews. And when they come under one king, that was the, that, that fulfilled that prophecy, uh, that, that they, they would appoint one head. And, and there were several kings that were appointed as one head. Well, Clifton, thank you for being here tonight. And, and we've probably gone on too far. 
Clifton's essays will be published probably within the next week on his website at emmaheiser.christagenia.org. Praise Yahweh and thank you.